Amen. Thank you, Ryan. Let it be known that tonight is the first time I have ever preached or led worship with glasses on. It's a momentous occasion. It will not be the last. Um, we discovered over the, uh, the season of live stream that I can't see. And um, we were, when we were doing the live stream, we were in a dark room that had a bright light straight at me. So if you know, if you have experienced eye issues, you know, it was the ideal scenario for trying to read off of a page when you have a Mack truck looking directly at you. So here I am, straight off of the Walmart shelf, $10, ready to go. We are uh, continuing in a series called Faith Refined by Fire, and we are walking through the book of First Peter. If you have a Bible, let me invite you to go to First Peter, and we are kicking off chapter 2 now of five chapters of First Peter. First Peter chapter 2 and beginning in verse 4, and we're going to read uh, and study through verse 12 this evening, slowly but surely. First um, Peter has been the perfect book, I think, for us as a church, as the people of God, as believers in Christ, to dig into over these odd, challenging, difficult, uh, scary times. Um, we are not the only church going through First Peter. In fact, as I have surveyed other churches and what they're doing uh, on their live streams and so forth, I've noticed a number of churches have said we need to go to First Peter and hear from a man inspired by God who is speaking about when difficult things happen, when Christians are attacked or persecuted, when really hard stuff happens, that God is doing something, that God is in control, even when we don't like what's happening. Um, chapter 2 is going to continue to teach us about this. First um, Peter is a difficult book, though, because it gives us answers to the questions that we have. The problem with First Peter is many people don't like the answers that it has. And so we as believers have the opportunity to submit ourselves to the perfect and good word of our Heavenly Father once again tonight. Uh, in particular, what the Bible always does and what this uh, passage tonight is going to ask us to do is to ask a question. The Bible puts in front of us a question. And that question is very simply, who is Jesus? Who is he for you? Not what do you think he is based on your opinion, as if your opinion defined who he is, but rather, how will you come to him? Will you make him the Lord of your life or not? Will you come to him in faith, even when it is a faith refined by fire? So let's take a moment now as we read from Scripture. Let's begin with a word of prayer tonight. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is good, that it is perfect, that it is powerful, that it changes lives. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, who brings life and light and hope into the worst of circumstances. We look to you this evening, Lord Jesus, and we pray all these things in your name. Amen. Let's read the Scripture together. I'm going to read first verses 4 through 8. The scripture says this, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. 
for it stands in Scripture. Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in Him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling, and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. The Scripture is clear. There is one question that is being asked, and that is very simply, is Christ your cornerstone? Is Christ your cornerstone? It tells us whoever believes in Him will not be put to shame, but also that those who do not believe that Jesus is a stone of stumbling or a rock of offense. American Culture 2020, as if you didn't know, there is no absolute truth because there is no source of truth because there is no God. Because we have kicked Jesus out, have we not? We have kicked Jesus out of education and worldview and government and morality. We have kicked Jesus out of the family. We have kicked Jesus out of politics and gender and race relationships and daily life. We have said no as a culture to Jesus. And I think, most of all, it is because many of us find Jesus' declaration in John 14, 6 to be offensive. Jesus says, I am the way. I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You know, Peter's world, the guy who wrote this book, the guy who wrote this letter, Peter's world was very much like ours, and that should be an encouragement and a challenge to us. See, Peter saw the crowds of people that on Monday sang Hosanna, praise to God in the highest, and then on Friday, many of those same people yelled what? Crucify him. Same people. Don't follow the ever changing voice of the masses. Follow the voice of Jesus. What happened in Peter's day? They spit on Jesus. They chose a criminal named Barabbas instead of Jesus. They mocked Jesus by wrapping him in a purple robe and mashing a crown of thorns onto his head, and they mocked him with a sign that said, King of the Jews. And then they crucified him. Why? Because they wanted a political solution to what they perceived was a political problem. We want a king to lead us freedom from our enemy, the enemy of Rome. And Rome was a problem, and Rome was a political problem. But Jesus came to solve the bigger problem, didn't he? He came to solve the biggest problem that they refused to see existed because they only wanted to see the problem in somebody else or out there. But Jesus came and said, no, 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 the problem is in here. The problem is a heart problem. The problem is a broken relationship between me, the Son of God, and you, God's people, the world. See, if Jesus is not your cornerstone, then the Bible says here that he, he is your stumbling stone. Because if Jesus is who He says that He is, 
then he's the Lord. Then he's the true king. He's the king of the world. He's the king over all things physical, spiritual, and otherwise. Listen to C.S. Lewis. Common quote, powerful quote, important idea for us today. C.S. Lewis said this a long time ago. I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say, says Lewis. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. The Scripture says, if you don't build your life on Jesus as king, then the kingship of Jesus will one day crush you. A rock of stumbling, a rock of offense. The Scripture goes on to say they stumble because they disobey. The Scripture reminds us of personal responsibility. What choice will you make with Christ? And then it goes on to say, as they were destined to do, God's sovereignty. See, just as God set the cornerstone into place in verse 6, so in verse 8, He set, or destined is the word here in our English Bibles, their destruction. It's the same word that God set Christ as cornerstone and He set their destruction. The same day, interestingly enough, that Jesus entered Jerusalem to those shouts of Hosanna as He rode in on that donkey, the very same day, later that afternoon, Jesus gave what was His final parable, and it's known in Scripture as the parable of the wicked tenants. It shows up in Matthew chapter 22. And basically the idea is there was a master of a house, says Jesus, and this master developed his property. He put in a wine press and a vineyard, and then he rented it to several tenants. And when harvest time came, that master of that property sent servants to collect the harvest. And the wicked tenants rejected the servants who came on behalf of the master. Multiple servants came. Multiple servants spoke on behalf of the master, and the tenants first beat them and then killed them. Another servant comes. Another servant comes, says Jesus. But finally, the master said, I will send my son. Surely, the tenants will listen to my own son. But as Jesus tells in the story, the tenants rejected and killed even the son that he had sent. And Jesus, in that story, quotes the same thing that Peter's quoting, Isaiah 28, 16, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And those who were listening knew that Jesus was talking to them. And in the very next verse, Jesus adds this line, 
It's a scary line. It's a true line. Verse 44, Matthew 21, 44, and the one who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, and when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. Is Christ your cornerstone? You know, when you build a building, I am not an architect, I can't build anything, I am a disaster with tools, but I know from the Scripture when you build a building that the cornerstone goes in first, right? The cornerstone is the first stone that you put into place, and if it's not square, if it's not true, if it's not placed correctly, if it's not accurate, then the whole building is off. Pray for me, I'm building a swing set next weekend. If it had a cornerstone, I would mess it up. But Jesus is the cornerstone, just like every foundation must have a cornerstone. Jesus is also our living stone. I have not come across many living stones, except if you watch that awful movie, what's it called? Sorry, this is ad lib. I love this movie, and I don't like it at the same time. The new one, there's two of them. Frozen. There's the little living stones, right? You with me now? The living stones. The living stones. Don't ever go off what you prepared. Jesus is our living stone. Not like Frozen. Why is he a living stone? Because death could not hold him down, right? He was dead, but he rose to life, and we're told if he is a living stone that he can make us living stones. On top of that, the same Isaiah 28 prophecy that Peter has brought into this text is one, uh, it brings up one of the main images in the Old Testament that helps point us to Jesus in the New, which is the temple. The temple was the place where the people of God would come and meet with God. Prior to the temple, it was the tabernacle, the special place where God's presence was, where His people could meet with Him. It was the place where sacrifices were made because of sin. But the old temple and the old way of sacrifice was not enough. It pointed us instead to one who would come one day soon that would bring hope and a solution. Jesus is the true cornerstone of the true temple, and it is no longer a building, but it is us, the family of God, believers with Him as the chief cornerstone. Remember when Jesus died, what happened to the curtain in the temple? was torn in two from top to bottom, and that our sin, which had separated us from the holy of holies from God, was ripped in half for us. Jesus came in love for a people that He knew would reject Him. Jesus is that servant in Isaiah who would be rejected and killed in Matthew 21, killed by the tenants but the only acceptable sacrifice for sin. The one true, eternal, permanent, effective Lamb of God. And so First Peter says, come to Him. Come to Him by faith. Whoever believes in Him will not be put to shame. In Christ, our sins have been paid for and we've been washed clean. In youth group this week, Pray for our youth. 
Pray for this next generation as they're seeing and they're hearing and they're listening and they're watching. Pray that they would know Jesus as cornerstone. We started a a new series, a new study, and it's asking the same question. I did not plan it this way. It asks the question, who is Jesus? At the end of this study, it really challenges us to think through that. I want to let you just take a minute and watch just the tail end of what our 5th through 12th graders experienced uh, on Wednesday, and then I'm going to come back up with two final thoughts for you. Who is Jesus? That's the question. That's the question. Was he a real person? What did he say? What did he do? What made him so special? What made him different than any other man in history? The records show. His birth was a miracle. His mom was a virgin and she was pregnant. He made the blind see. The deaf hear. The mute speak. The paralyzed walk. He healed terrible diseases. He knew what was in men's minds. He knew what was in men's hearts. He knows what is in men's hearts. He knew the story of people's lives without ever having met them. He spoke with authority. He amazed teachers. He amazed everyone. Nature obeyed him. He turned water into wine. He walked on water. He walked on top of the water. He could change the weather. He fed 5,000 people from one lunchbox. He brought people who were dead back to life. He loved sinners. He loved everyone. 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 He forgave sins. He never made a mistake. He never once sinned. But we judged him. We whipped and beat him. We spit on him. And we killed him. He loved us anyway. He loves us anyway. He died for us. He died so that we wouldn't have to. He paid for our sins with his life. Did I mention he loves us? He came back to life. He was dead. Then he was alive. A lot of people saw him. He is coming back. Who is Jesus? That's a big question. That's the big question. What does it even matter? What does it matter to you? Who is Jesus? My answer doesn't matter to you. Only your answer matters to you. Who do you say that he is? Who do you say that he is? Who is Jesus? That's right, Lola. You got it. Good job, sweetie. Two thoughts to close out. If Jesus is your cornerstone, Christ gives us two things, a true identity and a true purpose. Number two, if you're taking notes, Christ gives us a true identity. Look at the next two verses here. This is verses 9 and 10. You're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, 
a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So many of us are walking around asking the question, truly, who am I? Am I man enough? Am I strong enough? Am I pretty enough? Am I skinny enough? And the world will tell us a lie that will satisfy temporarily but will ultimately leave us wanting. And the world will tell us the lie that you're only good enough if you make the world and the things of the world your cornerstone, the source of your identity. Every message of advertising tells us this. If you want to have the right identity, if you want to be right. If you want to know who you are, then you ought to wear our clothes or wear our makeup or use our product or drive our car or vacation at our hotels, but they're not good enough. I don't know if you've noticed, but everybody on social media is on an unending quest to create the best fake version of themselves. We, We post an identity of who we wish we are, hoping that people will believe that our lives really are as good as they look in our pictures. And we hope that we've done a good enough job to hide our insecurities and our, our failures. Right, the world tells us if your job falls through or if your money doesn't last or if your marriage crumbles or if your kids become rebels, you're not good enough and your identity is in those mistakes or those sins or those failures. First Peter uses the word shame. If you make a mistake, if you sin big, says our world, there's no forgiveness. There's no grace, there's no second chance, there's no repentance. But this says something different, doesn't it? It says, instead of an identity of shame, we've been given an identity of honor. As Christ is precious to the Father, so we are made precious to Him by His love. And so Peter says our true identity comes from Christ, that we are a chosen race, that God, through the love of Jesus, would choose to make us a part of His family that we are a royal priesthood, that Jesus the high priest has made a way that we can be, we can have full access to God now because that curtain has been torn in two, that we're a holy nation of Jews who rejected God and of Gentiles who had lived for generations in ignorance and wickedness are now one holy nation of God's people of His possession, those who had not received mercy, but now through Christ have been given mercy. If Christ is your cornerstone, He has given you a true identity and finally a true purpose. Look again at the tail end of verse 9 that we just read. The Scripture says that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. We are a generation of people who have no idea what to do. We have no clear purpose. And when we see problems, we have no idea how to step into them because we are enslaved to meaningless stuff because we can't see beyond ourselves. But 
if Christ is our cornerstone, then it's no longer about me and it's no longer about how many people know my name, but my purpose is that others might know the name of Jesus. Lord, let everything that I say, everything that I do be about declaring the excellencies of Jesus who took me out of darkness and brought us into glorious light, out of the shame and the pit of our sin into the marvelous light, and to be able to do it in such a way that we say, look what Jesus has done for me, not out of anything that I ever did or will do. Look at His marvelous, extravagant grace. He's given it to me, and He can and will give it to you as well. Look at the last two verses that Peter concludes this section. It it serves as a transition. Not only does it finalize the purpose that we have if Christ is our cornerstone, but it's going to set us up in a couple weeks for 1 Peter chapter 3. Listen to 11 and 12. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation, that they may see your good deeds and glorify God. We are travelers whose hope is in heaven, not in the here. Let our purpose in Christ be evident to all, so that when people speak ill of you as a believer, and they will, that you would be willing to suffer in this life, in this world, knowing that Christ is your cornerstone, that your identity is secure and permanent in Him, and your purpose is all about Him, to tell others that they might know about Him until the day that Jesus returns. Let's take a moment and let's pray together.